Thanks for joining me for Life Solved from the University of Portsmouth. In this series, we're bringing you conversations with brilliant researchers and scientists about the world-changing work they're doing. Whether it's in science, the environment, security or society, work at Portsmouth is decoding how our world works and combining ideas to find the bigger picture. Today, our guest is challenging the idea that our emotions and mental experiences are somehow separate to our bodies. What we now understand is that things like mental illnesses have physical constructs. Professor Jerome Swinney believes the physical development of our brains is shaped by our experiences through life. The mind is just the last <laughs> frontier. You know, we've made such huge strides with so many diseases, things like epilepsy, yes. which are kind of neurological. So things that, so brain functions that are similar, uniform across individuals, like the way we walk, mm. you know, things like that. But I think when it comes to the mind, that is so individual. <laughs> you know, the way you think, the way you see the world. And if the way you see it is, in a way that could be detrimental to your health. That's a very unique mm -hmm. disease. In this episode, we're finding out why the key to our mental health might lie in the way our brains respond physically to the world and our experiences. Kate Daniel found out more over a coffee. Professor Jerome Swinney has been curious about how our bodies connect with our experiences since he was a child. I've always just wanted to know how things work in the body. And so I think I must have been 10 or 12 and I knew I'd be doing this. Precisely what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Jerome works at the School of Pharmacy and Biomedical Sciences here at Portsmouth. What I'd like to know is I would like to understand the fundamental biology of our nervous system. How does our nervous system work? So this includes all aspects of our nervous system, so the brain, as well as the parts that are in the rest of the body. We've already heard how researchers are uncovering the secrets of our own biology to help develop therapies and drugs. Since he came to Portsmouth, Jerome's been focused on learning more about how stress impacts our systems. Stress is linked to everything, cardiovascular, so not just the brain. It's linked to the immune system, metabolic system. So it's a huge impact in terms of, you know, medical priorities. If you want to modify the disease, you need to know what caused it. Last year in England, the NHS planned to spend 12.2 billion on mental health. In spite of the huge impact of our minds on our well-being, it's only in recent years that we've begun to accept a more joined-up view of how this can affect all aspects of our experience, from our emotions to our physical health, thoughts and motor skills. Jerome told Kate about the big role our nervous systems play in connecting all these vital body processes. I'm particularly interested in how stress or life experience impacts on the nervous system and how the changes in the nervous system drive our behaviour or our thinking so that this then allows us to deal with all of life's challenges. So we know that stress is a really fundamental, it's 
something that we experience throughout our lives, from the time we are born to the time we die. And nature or evolution has recognized this. So there are certain biological processes that help us to deal with this ever-changing environment. And this is essentially the stress response within our body. So the nervous system is the overall regulator of the stress response. So obviously stress has a huge impact on how the nervous system works, but it can delegate some of these responsibilities to other body organs as well. So, and this will manifest in how we behave, but also in diseases as well. So for example, uh, we know that stress affects the brain, yeah. you know, how we think, but also certain diseases, but it also affects different parts of your body. For example, when you're nervous, like, giving this <laughs> interview, you might feel a little knot in your stomach. That is your stress response in your gastrointestinal tract because it says, well, right now we probably need to shut down this intestine is for, so we stop all kind of motility, and that is the knot in the stomach that you feel. <laughs> and then later on, you know, when you realise, well, this is not a life-threatening situation, <laughs> it will relax. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, public speaking is recognized as the worst stressor throughout. You can speak to the most accomplished speakers and they will say before they get on, they are nervous, mm. you know, and obviously to certain degrees. And everybody will recognize that kind of feeling in the tummy. And this is exacerbated if you speak to people who suffer from anxiety. You know, the stress is a risk factor for anxiety. And they will invariably have GI, I mean severe GI disorders like inflammatory bowel disease or mm -hmm. irritable bowel disease, irritable bowel syndrome. So that's basically the overarching thing. I'd like to know how stress impacts on the functioning of the nervous system, how the nervous system then reacts to elicit certain behaviors. And then, and I guess the fascination arises from, if you look at certain people, some people can deal with anything life throws at them. Mm -hmm. They can just take anything that's any kind of stressor. And then there's some people that, you know, just crumble mm -hmm. at the first kind of, you know, challenge that they face. And the, and the question is why? We all have the same basic machinery. <laughs> So we have the same kind of cells, we have the same proteins that are there to mediate the stress response. But for some people, it's adaptive. We experience the stressor, we overcome it, so the next time we can deal with it in a better way. So we adapt to our changing. And some people, it's maladaptive. It results in a disease. Unless you live a charmed life, it's unlikely you'll pass through it without experiencing stress to a greater or lesser degree. But what Jerome seems to be saying is that different levels of stress might affect our functions to different extents. We've all felt a knot in our stomach at a tense moment, but could this theory suggest that people living with gastrointestinal disorders might have a clearer link back to the way our bodies physically process external events? So the beauty is that what we now understand is that things like mental illnesses have physical constructs. During my PhD, 
I was fascinated. So I was working the part of the brain called the cerebellum. So the cerebellum is one of those parts of the brain, if you lose it, you're not going to die. You're just going to walk funny because <laughs> it's a part of the brain that helps us to learn certain motor acts. So it's part of the brain that's important for motor learning. So when you learn to ride a bike, that is the cerebellum, it helps you to adapt your motor function in terms of change. Yes. So when you learn to ride a bike, the cerebellum is doing is it's checking what you're doing internally. So what muscles are you saying contract? It's checking the external environment to make sure that they're contracting in a way that it is appropriate. So for example, if you're cycling on a windy day, you need to cycle differently to on a day that is not windy because you have to be constantly adapting. And that's what the cerebellum is doing. The fascinating thing is there is the stress hormone. So the stress hormone called corticotropin releasing hormone. That is the initiator of the stress response. So corticotropin releasing hormone. So it's the nervous system and the hormonal system. But the strange thing is this part of the brain that is involved in motor learning has the highest amounts of CRH. It's not really a part of the brain that's involved in kind of emotional disorders or stress-induced disorders. So I thought, well, what on earth is it doing here? And it's developmentally regulated, so you get a lot of it early on. So what we did for the PhD was basically characterize what it is doing. And in a nutshell, we were able to show that the stress hormone is responsible for the development of the neurons. So it makes them grow out. From observing high levels of the corticotropin hormone in the cerebellum, Jerome was just a step from this to asking how anxiety and depression symptoms, historically stigmatised as non-physical, might also have a clear connection to the way our brains and bodies develop and cope with life's ups and downs. So it changes the structure of the brain. And from then onwards, there's this body of work that has grown to show how stress and life experience changes the structure of the brain. So small amounts of stress that is adaptive makes them grow out. You form more synapses, so mm -hmm. more communication, more memories can be formed. Whereas chronic severe stress, the stress that induces the mental illnesses, it actually makes neurons shrink. So there is less chances to connect with one another, there's less chances for synapses to form, so there's less chances for memory. Smaller neurons are just unhealthy neurons and eventually they die. It is about trying to deal with life's challenges mm -hmm. and how the functioning of our nervous system helps us to do that. So what are the proteins and what are the cells within our brain that helps us to deal with these emotional challenges mainly? And what goes wrong that results in us becoming susceptible to some of the stress-induced diseases like depression and anxiety. Jerome has also contributed to cutting-edge work that's exploring these vital connections in certain diseases. There's been another large body of work saying, so you can now image a brain of somebody who's depressed yes. and it looks completely different to somebody who's healthy. My focus has been is on early life stress, so the early life environment and the interaction between the parents, well, with mice, it's mothers. But it's the maternal interaction. 
and basically if we can if we've manipulated it so we can get the mother to be a bit more loving mm. and all you do is just separate them for 15 minutes from the pups when you put them back she's so anxious she just smothers them with love and when they grow up they are so calm they are so placid whereas if you impair that maternal barrier the, and the mice the young mice are exposed to stress very early in life now that evolutionary does not happen that is the role of the parents mm-hmm. because the stress hormones are generally bad for you so you don't want that to be happening at a really early stage of your brain development so that is where parental care comes in it dampens a stress response from anxious mice mothers to complex human lives the idea of being able to find a tangible physical pathway between stress anxiety and depression and our early life experiences is tantalizing however jerome thinks drug treatments based on these clean cut ideas are a long way off if ever within reach eventually we are see it going you know, the larger picture we want to know we're driven by and trying to understand science but at the end of the day it should be for the betterment of animals and mankind because i use animals of course and i think it can work in both ways if you can talk about it and find the origin hopefully that might inform the drug therapy later on instead he explained how we can apply these ideas to change real lives immediately using tools we already have the mind is just the last <laughs> frontier you know we've made such huge strides with so many diseases things like epilepsy yes. which are kind of neurological so brain functions that are similar uniform across individuals like the way we walk mm. you know things like that but i think when it comes to the mind that is so individual <laughs> the way you think the way you see the world and if the way you see it is in a way that could be detrimental to you that's a very unique mm-hmm. disease so to find a you know uh, i think we're a long way away from that that is why i still think counseling is probably will outweigh anything that we'll be able to produce medically we know that we are finding such fundamental genetic cellular changes as a result of this that would at least enlighten how we talk to these individuals even if we don't have a drug to offer them we can at least say well we know because very often people don't a lot of the concern or the anxiety comes from not knowing what is going on yes you know so if we can at least explain to them well tell us about your life oh this happened well you know we know that this causes it you know so in terms of what you're going to we know exactly why it's happening so let's now that we know that let's see how we can get you better <laughs> that kind of thing it's important because we need to remove the stigma attached to these degree mm-hmm. nobody will say if you have cancer and you have a tumor oh just deal with it whereas you know if you have depression it is a physical construct now rather than it's just all in the mind <laughs> so what is emerging is essentially it's probably going to be more personalized medicine So up till now let's take something like depression. Yes. Generally people will be diagnosed because of the classical symptoms. And there are guidelines to say if you have this then you are depressed. And then you will get a class of drugs that is an antidepressant and everybody gets them. Okay. The yes. problem is is that 
while you might have the same symptomology, you might have a, got to that point from completely different origin. We should not underestimate the value of just talking and trying to get a perspective or mm. contextualizing. So I think that goes hand in hand with the pharmacotherapy. I'm a scientist, a basic biomedical scientist, so drug therapy is something that is tangible for me and I see it as a tangible option, but I don't think this has to go hand in hand with, you know, some kind of psychotherapy or counselling. Mm. Because very often, especially in terms of stress, it's a lot about how you perceive it. Thanks to Jerome for talking to us. As human beings, we cross borders and frontiers in terms of place and space, but it seems there are still many unmapped mysteries within our own internal landscapes. If you'd like to find out more about Jerome and his work, you can get all the detail on our research portal at port.ac.uk forward slash research. Thanks for listening to this episode of Life Solved. We'll be back with more world-changing research. Are we increasing antimicrobial resistance within our normal gastrointestinal flora? Is it removing bacteria or is it helping them to overcome the effects of that antibiotic? Our new magazine, Solve, follows University of Portsmouth research when it's put into practice. It's full of news and stories on our world-changing advances and the changes these are making to lives and futures across the world. Go to port.ac.uk forward slash solve. And please tell us what you think via social media using the hashtag LifeSolved. Or maybe just share the big idea with a friend. I'm John Worsey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.